0: Welcome to the Smarter Healthcare Podcast, where we meet the brightest minds transforming healthcare with your host, Kathy Susich. Welcome to Episode 20 of the Smarter Healthcare Podcast. Our guest is Yiding Yu, Chief Medical Officer at Olive, a technology company that uses artificial intelligence to automate areas of healthcare. In this episode, Yiding talks to us about her history of entrepreneurism and how AI is making an impact in healthcare. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks Yidding for joining us today. Could you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you came to your current role at Olive?
1: I'd be happy to, Kathy. I am Chief Medical Officer today at Olive, a healthcare AI company and focused on enterprise healthcare uh, automations and artificial intelligence deployments. My personal background is as a physician, I was trained as an internist, and I still practice today here in Boston. How I got onto the entrepreneurial tech route, I think I was always a kid, one of those kids who loved technology, built websites when I was growing up in middle school and high school. And then I launched my first company when I was, my first, you know, investor bank company uh, when I was um, in uh, residency. So during my training, and that was a company called Touillage that accelerated communications between first responders and hospitals. So we could treat patients with heart attacks and strokes really quickly, you know, scaled that company, led the company as CEO, and then once I got the entrepreneurial bug, just kept on focusing on healthcare tech. Ended up joining a company called Verada Health, which was focused on using AI to solve prior authorizations in healthcare. Was chief medical officer at that company, ran multiple departments, at payer relationships, marketing, as well as all of our customer operations. And so when we were acquired by Olive, uh, towards the end of last year. Um, I joined the company uh, as chief medical officer and now lead one of our core business units as well.
0: And you have a long history of being involved in entrepreneurial ventures, as you just told us. What drives your desire to innovate?
1: I, I love that question because I I actually think a lot about why I do what I do and is is my current day-to-day, my current responsibilities is reflective of what I want to do, because I think making sure that your life and your career is what you want to be doing is a very active endeavor. Um, it's, it's a never-ending journey. And when I was growing up, whenever I thought about what do I want to be when I grew up, I always told myself I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to help other people. And I still love being a doctor because of that. But I, my, my itch for innovation, though, is more of a impatience or a frustration with things that I think are just stupid. Because why? I just don't understand the why of why some things exist. Why does it require a fax to send records between two hospitals? Why? That just seems um, absolutely ridiculous in this modern age. That needs to be fixed. When I was younger, I I studied economics in college, even though I was a pre-med. And the reason why I loved economics was because I thought of it as a discipline that focused on, that that tried to understand incentives and human behaviors in setting up institutions uh, that could foster either catastrophic Improvements or catastrophic, you know, um, a harm to our society. And I, I always viewed that as a really powerful tool. How do we create uh, systems? How do we incentivize people? How do we structure markets to bring out the best? To bring out the outcome that we want to see. Um, uh, and I, I find that really powerful. So I love waking up every day thinking about, wow, there's a problem I want to solve and I can solve it. So that's really how I think about innovation. I, I don't think about it as, you know, cool tech or, um, you know, are you going to be the future Elon Musk of uh, of any industry? I think of it as, is there a problem that you want to solve? And are you passionate about solving it? And I'm, I'm just too uh, annoyed by what I think are, inconveniences and stupid things and wasteful things. And that's why I come to work every day. It's because I think it's wasteful. And so I've got to fix it. That's great.
0: Now, if we look back at the last year or so, what do you think are some of the lessons learned from the pandemic regarding innovation?
1: So to the point you know, I was making earlier about aligning incentives, I think that one of the things I, um, I think we all saw, especially in healthcare was how quickly a healthcare system can adapt with the right motivation. So we've, you know, telehealth would be, you know, the best example of this. And I'm not the first one to say it, but I launched telehealth for my health system uh, years back. I was chief innovation engineer for a two billion dollar health system in Boston, and that was 2015. We launched uh, telemedicine services for our patients. And we tried to roll it out and we were trying it early and it always had some volume, but not a lot. Not a lot of patients really took it on. It was not the first thing we offered to our patients too. It was difficult to have my nurses triage a patient to telehealth because um, it wasn't our core business model. Then the pandemic hit, we couldn't see our patients in person and suddenly People are using FaceTime to uh, talk with their doctors. I mean, if there's a will, there's a way. And clearly before now, the will wasn't strong enough. I think the second thing though is, is not that it's not that patients were interested in telehealth but that you have to align incentives. So the moment that insurance companies said we will reimburse telehealth like a regular visit, um, it'll be covered for all of our patients that, that did it. You know, the problem with telehealth before was sometimes it wasn't covered. It was reimbursed at a third of what a regular office visit was. So basically you're saying and telling doctors, well, I don't really think this is important. There's no real incentive for you to stand up a telehealth business. Um, so do you think doctors were doing it? Of course they're not. So the moment you align incentives, people can move really quickly. And i I think that's, I think that's like actually a really positive thing. It just shows us that if we put, you know, uh, money where our mouth is, we can actually really deliver some amazing outcomes um, and really accelerate innovation.
0: Now tell us a little bit about Olive and how you're leveraging AI to impact different areas of healthcare.
1: We are thinking about this question every day. So A, Olive was built as an AI platform tailor made for healthcare. We also design and deploy AI as a service. So AI can be really daunting for many hospitals. I mean, they have uh, a, you know uh, IT teams, but they probably don't have AI engineers and probably are never going to invest in the AI engineers that Google and Microsoft and Olive <laughs> all have. We have hundreds of employees, all dedicated to building AI. So uh, we're thinking, how can we just provide AI that's turnkey, that can deliver real outcomes for hospitals and providers right away? And it took us many years to figure that out. That that was not just something that we said, oh, this is so easy, we can just do it. We, as a company, tried for years to understand how do you make a system that's turnkey, but today we've created that platform. We It's a combination of many different types of AI because I think AI is just a catch-all term, but there's many different flavors of it. And so for example, we're able to build what I would call simple automations, uh, robotic process automation bots. These automate simple, activities that humans might do today. They replicate clicks, they replicate tasks and they're not very intelligent um, but uh, they can do them and they can do them really, really fast. On top of those, we've created the entire system to learn from each other. So you know imagine that I help one hospital um, automate claim statusing for one of their payers. Well, guess what, maybe another hospital in the same state or the state over also has to do the same activity just with a slightly different set of payers. When Olive builds it for one hospital, when we deploy one Olive, all of our Olives learn across the entire network. And today Olive is live at 46 states, over 700 hospitals. And so every single innovation benefits all the hospitals on our network and we think that's really important like how we're just delivering scale over and over. It also allows something that we call self-healing. So the uh, machine learning of, uh, of all of uh, another element of AI learns from errors that we that come back. you know for example, if you get a result and you're airing out from one pair, instead of having a human to just manually fix it every time and having one of our engineers address it, how can the AI automatically recognize what's going wrong, troubleshoot it, and then deploy that. So that self-healing is using that machine learning. And then we also have natural language processing technology, natural language understanding, to do really complex stuff like AI clinical reviews. That's when Olive will actually read through 13 to 18 months of clinical documents in a chart match it to medical necessity criteria from a health insurance company, and say, this patient has met medical necessity. That's incredibly difficult to do. It's exactly what nurses at a health insurance company are paid to do. They sift through documents, they look for clinical content. We're training our AI to do the same. So that you know for a health plan or even for a provider organization, they can free up their valuable nurses for patient care and true human uh, interventions and not use their nurse time just to scour the chart. We scour the chart for them. We present it to you know the clinical or support staff, and we you know eliminate 80% of the work. So we think of AI as uh, a full uh, stream of work and it goes from you know automations and revenue cycle to clinical reviews all the way to possible clinical workflows that um, with all with all of all of which are built to help everyone in healthcare work at the top of their license
0: and I really like that point where it's not really about AI replacing people but rather helping them to do, like you said, work at the top of their license as opposed to doing some of that grunt work?
1: Absolutely, 100%. There's so much valuable work that I as a physician should be doing, that my nurses should be doing. And unfortunately today, so much of our daily lives are for documentation, coding, recording. When you look at this, every time they do a study, um, almost half of a clinician's time today is in front of a computer, not with a patient. And if you think about how much you pay you know, a physician how much money goes into uh, investing in the education of a clinician, only for them to sit behind a computer 40% of their day, like that is really not making the most use of your most valuable asset in healthcare. And I think that's that's the absolute best way of unleashing. I, I don't think of it as, you know, replacing anyone. I think about unleashing people to do what they really were trained to do and, and get the busy work out of that.
0: Now, we've heard a lot about the promise of AI in healthcare and you also earlier talked about some of the challenges with AI in healthcare, like hospitals not necessarily having the staff to support it. Do you think the healthcare system is ready to fully leverage the capabilities of AI?
1: I think we are, but I also think that you know we need to do a better job of educating and um, helping the healthcare industry understand how to use AI and actually understand what AI is right anytime there's a new technology um, people are excited but if you don't quite understand it you might you might have too much wishful thinking um, or you might actually apply it in the wrong places and that that could be just as harmful because you could have a great technology but if you don't use in the right areas it kind of uh, never lived up to its potential. Um, And then you might just think, oh, what a waste of my time, right? So that's a lose-lose. And so um, I I do think though, that there are the right ways to apply AI. And, And so part of what we do at Olive is for every single one of our partners and our customers, we do an assessment and we do that completely for free. Uh, So we come in with our experts, we've done this across hundreds of hospitals, and we help identify what are fantastic candidates for automations or candidates for AI. And we'll identify that for you. We'll also build the business case around it because it's really daunting, especially when you're uh, working with AI to say, well, what type of value will this deliver for me? How should I even think about the future? What should I anticipate? You don't want to overestimate, but you also don't want to underestimate that um, as you're investing. So we we do all that work. We, we work with you to make sure we're all bought in into what it will look like. So you have that full view and then that makes it successful because we find that if we don't do that, if we uh, don't do, we don't help our customers identify the right candidates for automation. And if we don't look at the business case with it, AI applications tend to fail in those in those areas. You have to kind of guide it to the right right area. But on the flip side, I would say the the positive of that is in the beginning. Uh, we've been doing this for several years now, in the beginning everything felt consultative everything was a learning experience even for olive but today we've made it like products these are these are like SKUs, just like you know a, bar, a barcode on a yogurt um if you want us to help you with prior authorizations we've got a end-to-end platform that you can plug in that we integrate with your EMR we already have all that code built and uh, once you just install the software just starts working in the background um, we do that for claims and eligibility and we're even in different parts of the market starting to assure payments or assure claims so that you know imagine as a provider you don't have to worry about wondering if you're going to get paid and maybe the insurance company is going to deny something you'll know, uh, because of Olive, that we'll guarantee the payment and we'll just automate and uh, make sure that all of the activities require for you to get paid um, that we handle by AI. So eventually uh, it feels more and more turnkey and that's what we've created now. And we started in that fully consultative uh, mode and now across you know, all applications of healthcare, you have more plug and play AI applications.
0: Let's look ahead five to 10 years. What areas of healthcare do you think will have seen the greatest impact from technology investments?
1: Such an exciting question. It's also a really hard question for me because to, to me, especially as a practicing physician, a clinician, I want that answer to be in clinical medicine. I want to see amazing breakthroughs in uh, biotech and therapeutics Um, it wouldn't be amazing to say we've cured cancer. I mean, that yeah. <laughs> that's so much better than um, than any kind of software technology, because frankly, that is being able to give years of life to, to families. Um, so I want to say, I hope that's the case. I, I can't wait for those cutting edge tech uh, breakthroughs. Um, and I think there's so much just on the cusp of that. But I also think that there is massive opportunity to replace a lot of the really archaic parts of healthcare. The fact that healthcare is the only industry that still uses fax machines routinely, like not not even as a corner use case, but as the standard of care use case. I mean, I think just the other day, I was trying to request my medical records to send to another physician. And the only way I was allowed to... Uh, authorize my doctor to send my records was to fill out a form, sign it, and fax it back. They didn't accept it by email. They wouldn't accept an electronic sign. I had to fax a physical form. I mean, I just couldn't, or I mail it. Those are my two options. Uh, and, um, and then I'd have to wait two weeks. for for that transaction to happen. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's as if like the industry wants to lose money um, and wants to annoy patients like myself. Um, I hope that we, uh, especially as we do more interoperability, especially as we push um, secure technologies, we can't let things like HIPAA uh, be an excuse to not innovate. Um, And if we remove those barriers that keep Technology for really working for the patient, for technology for really working for uh, the health system, I think we could do so much. You know, going back to the story of how much of healthcare today is on bureaucracy, I, I think that we can easily uh unleash a trillion dollars uh in healthcare uh, waste and overhead by doing that. And and that's actually one of the, part of the mission statement of Olive is to unleash a trillion dollars of potential. Because rather than spend timing on pushing paper, you should be using that energy and effort to accelerate patient care and uh even lower the cost of care, right? Um, so I, I think that is that has been critical. And the areas where I see the fastest movement to that, just to get really specific to your question, Kathy, is um, a lot of that is happening in revenue cycle because, I mean, it's all paper pushing. It's all just financial transactions. It should be all electronic. Um, and I think there's more and more pressure to reduce the overhead there and faster than anywhere else. So I'm really motivated. We've done some amazing work um, at Olive to achieve that. And I think, um, I think, you know, I'm seeing great solutions across the market to, to make health systems more efficient. Kidding. I really enjoyed
0: this conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Smarter Healthcare Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about yidding, you can follow her on Twitter at YiddingYou. You can follow me on Twitter at Kay or at SmartHC Podcast. Feel free to get in touch with comments or guest suggestions. To listen to more episodes, visit our website at www.smarthcpodcast.com or find us on your favorite podcast app. I'd appreciate if you would subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.